in a series of the last several weeks that we're calling Note to Self, and we're learning about our identity in Christ from the book of Ephesians, and we're studying the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and I'm enjoying what God has been teaching us and looking forward to this morning, and uh, really the heart of the Apostle Paul is to explain who we are in light of who God is. The best way that we can understand who we are is to understand who God is, and in this letter we're learning about our identity and the fact that our identity is in Christ. It's not in a career or in a dollar amount or in a relationship, but it's in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number two. And if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen today? Ephesians chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And uh, most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But Ephesians chapter two, let's start reading verse number one. The Bible says this, And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Anybody thankful for that this morning? Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject, masterpiece in the making. Masterpiece in the making. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church and the lives that are being changed by the power of the gospel. And Lord, this morning we pray for Israel And for all those that are affected in the Middle East, God, we recognize that ultimate peace is found in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize that you provide a peace that passes all understanding, that you are the prince of peace. And so when our hearts long for peace, Lord, I pray that ultimately our hearts would long for you. And God, I pray that this morning as we look to Ephesians chapter 2, God, that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. And Lord, I pray that... We would not be concentrated on human ideas and philosophies today, but we would recognize that we're studying your word and uh, that it is applicable and relevant to us today. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, 
This past week, my wife Katie was at brunch with some friends, and so I was at home with our three children, and my youngest daughter, Blakely, she was kind of getting a little bit restless, and she wanted uh, to do something, and she kept asking me, Dad, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and uh, I said, Blakely, let's, let's make a craft together. Uh, let's make something together. And so she went to the other room, and she brought in this kind of like Play-Doh type uh, substance, and she said, let's make something. And I said, what do you want to make? And she said, I don't know, what do you want to make? And I said, let's make a golf hole. And so we decided that we were going to kind of put together a golf hole together. And we were having a blast doing that. And she was having fun. And I was having fun playing with her. And, and I brought a picture this morning of the work of art that we created. This was the golf hole that we put together. We had the little water, the green, and, and uh, those are sand traps, those little circles in the back. And we had the flag and everything. And uh, now, this might not seem uh, like that much to you, but for Blakely and I, this creation was nothing short of a masterpiece, okay? We thought this was uh, the absolute best, and she was so excited to go and show her brother and her sister and her mom and, and uh, to talk about uh, this masterpiece that we put together. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word masterpiece. Certainly in the realm of art, uh, we might think of certain uh, paintings, Leonardo da Vinci and the Mona Lisa, or even The Last Supper or The Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh. These are certainly things that would be considered, considered a masterpiece. And it's interesting because we come to Ephesians chapter 2, and God tells us, out of all of his creation, what his masterpiece is. God's masterpiece out of all of his creation. And you might think, well, maybe it's the Rocky Mountains, or maybe it's the Swiss Alps, or maybe it's the Hawaiian Islands. What is God's masterpiece? But isn't it amazing that in Ephesians chapter 2, when God describes his masterpiece out of all of creation, he says that his masterpiece is you and it's me. Notice what he says in verse number 10 of our text. He says this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The word workmanship uh, in the Greek, in the original language, it's, it's the idea of a poetic work of art, a, a masterpiece. And he says that we are his masterpiece, that out of all of creation, that, that we are created in the image of God and we are called God's masterpiece. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 139 verse 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe that this morning? Marvelous are thy works and my soul knoweth right well. And so as Paul continues this uh, letter that he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and really this was a circular letter meant to go to many other churches, and by extension, we today are learning from this letter to the Ephesian church, and Paul is talking about uh, who God is, and he's explaining our, our possessions in Christ, and our position in Christ, and here he makes this transition in Ephesians chapter 2, and really these first 10 verses that we're going to study this morning, the verses that we just read, are really all about our salvation, and I want to encourage you today because as followers of Jesus and as Christians, our salvation is something that we should never lose sight of. Uh, our salvation is something that we should never kind of just get accustomed to. Uh, we should always be excited and celebratory when it comes to the work that God has done in our lives. I remember the day that I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and received him as my savior. I remember specifically, it was June 28th, 1997. And the reason I remember that specific date is because June 28th is my oldest sister Danielle's birthday. And I was kind of stealing some of the limelight from her on her birthday. It was all about me uh, getting saved that day. And uh, I remember being so excited to celebrate what God had done in my life, even as a, as a young boy, recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for me. And you know, sometimes I've observed that 
over the years, someone can be saved and pray to receive Jesus Christ, but they've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, and somewhere along the way, we lose our excitement for what God has done for us. And it's my prayer this morning that as we look to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that we would be reinvigorated and that we would be excited and filled with gratitude for what God has done for us. And so what I want to do is I want to break down these verses for us, verses 1 through 10, and I want to give us three ways that we should view ourselves in three ways that we can understand our identity and see that we are the masterpieces that God has created us to be. And uh, three ways this morning, if you're taking notes, number one is this, we have to recognize where we came from. Recognize where you came from. Now, I'm not talking about uh, where you were born. Uh, my wife, Katie, she was born in Salina, Kansas, and uh, I was born in Lancaster, California. Uh, but this morning, I'm not talking about, and the Apostle Paul is not talking about where you were born physically or what your country of origin is, uh, but he is interested in us remembering what our lives were like before Jesus Christ and where we came from out of a life of sin. I want to pick it up in verse number one. If you're with me today, would you say amen? Amen. He's going to describe our condition. Notice it in verse 1. He says this, And you, us, hath he quickened, uh, that word means to be made alive, he's made us alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so he is describing our former condition, and he says very plainly, we were dead. Before Christ, we were lifeless, dead, stuck in our sin. Romans 5 verse number 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man... Uh, speaking of Adam, uh, one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sin. And the point that Paul, who's writing this letter to the Ephesian church, the, the point that he's making is clear is that a dead person can't do anything in its own power to save themselves because they are dead. A dead person has no merit or achievement by which they can earn salvation because they are lifeless. They are dead. Uh, I read this interesting story of this British philosopher in the 1800s, his name was Jeremy Bentham. And Jeremy Bentham, in his will, when he died, he left a lot of money to this certain hospital in London. But in his will, he had certain stipulations for that money. And he said that one of the stipulations was that they had to mummify and preserve his body after he died. And so that's what they did. And I think we have a picture this morning. They kind of reconfigured his face out of wax and they, they preserved his body. And in his will, he requested that he would be present at every single board meeting for uh, that hospital. And so reportedly, for 100 years, they would wheel him into the board meeting in that London hospital, and in the meeting notes, it would say, Mr. Jeremy Bentham, present but not voting. Present but not voting. And they just, for 100 years, kept on wheeling him in to that boardroom. Now, uh, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here in verse number one. He's saying that before Christ, yes, we were physically present, but spiritually, we were dead. Now, there's an important distinction that we have to make here because tragically, Christianity has often been reduced to kind of just uh, tips and tricks for better living. Just if you want to live healthy and wealthy, okay, here's what uh, you need to do. Uh, but can I tell you today that Christianity is not about becoming a better version of you. Christianity is about becoming a new you. And this is the gospel. The gospel is not that sick people need to feel better. The gospel is that dead people need to be made alive by the power of Jesus Christ. And so we have to recognize today, we're not just talking about how we can become better versions of ourselves and sick people feeling better, but we are dead people made alive by the power of Jesus Christ. And so he says, we were dead, lifeless, 
But then he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, two words there uh, that he describes our condition. He says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. The word sin means to miss the mark. Uh, We took our kids not too long ago to a restaurant that had some dart boards on the wall. And uh, the kids were having fun throwing darts at the wall. And, and uh, you could see on the wall where those dart boards were hanging just thousands of holes where people completely missed the dart boards and just stuck the dart into the wall. And we kind of added a few of those holes ourselves, right? We just kept on throwing. And, and uh, uh, that's the idea of the word sin. You've completely missed the mark. That, that God set a standard, that God set a target, and the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, sin speaks to our failure. But then he says we were dead in our trespasses. The, the word trespasses means you crossed over a line. It, it speaks to our rebellion. It's kind of like, have you ever been to the DMV or an amusement park and uh, you were supposed to stand behind a line, and maybe you crossed that line, there was a worker that was a little snarky that said, please step behind the line. Has that ever happened to anybody before? Have you ever wanted that moment just to kind of put your toe over the line just as an act of rebellion? Anybody? Or is it just me that likes to do that? Okay, so um, uh, that's what it means to, to cross the line, that we knew that God had a standard, but in our rebellion, we willfully trespassed. And so Paul is saying, this is our former condition. That we were dead. We were stuck in our trespasses and sins. And then he goes on to talk about our conduct in verses 2 and 3. I want you to see it in verses 2 and 3. Notice what it says. Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. That's a reference to Satan, speaking of his authority in his realm, uh, the earth, that he has uh, influence on earth, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we, had, we all had our conversation, our, our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so Paul is talking about our previous conduct, and he's saying we were fulfilling the lust of our flesh, and we were subservient to our lusts, and we were kind of just walking according to the course of this world, and we were influenced by Satan, and we were living in Sin. Everybody tracking with me so far today? He says we were living in sin, not even realizing how destructive or damaging that that sin was. Uh, Several years ago, we tried to get our children to watch the movie The Wizard of Oz trying to get them to appreciate the classics. And let me tell you, they didn't appreciate the classic. They thought it was boring. Uh, But we watched the movie Wizard of Oz. And there's this scene uh, in the movie where it starts to snow. How many of you have seen Wizard of Oz before? Okay, there's this scene where it starts to snow. And when they were filming this, they wanted to make sure that the snow was going to look very real and authentic. The only problem is what they used as the material for the snow is asbestos, which we now know as extremely damaging to our lungs. And it looked really genuine and authentic, but they had no idea how damaging that it actually was. Can I tell you that that is a picture of sin in our lives? That so often it looks good, it looks harmless, it looks pleasurable, it looks fine, it looks authentic, but we have no idea about the destruction and damage and death that sin brings into our lives. The Bible says the wages, the payment of sin is death. And so Paul is describing our former condition. And he's saying we walked according to the course of this world, uh, influenced by the prince of the power of the air, uh, subservient to our lust. But I love that there's a couple of words in verses 2 and 3 that I believe are worth noting. And if you underline your Bible, these are some words that I would encourage you to underline. Notice verse number 2, wherein, here's the word, in times past. Notice verse number 3, among whom also we had our conversation in times past. I'm thankful for those words, in times past. 
past. In other words, uh, the implication, uh, the implication is that we don't do that anymore. That this was our former life. We used to be subservient to our flesh. We used to let sin dominate us. But now in Christ, uh, death has no more dominion and sin shall not be our master. In times past, we lived that way. But now we have the freedom and the power through the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. By the way, we shouldn't want to live according to our former condition. Several years ago, I was visiting the catacombs in Rome. I believe we have a picture this morning, and this is a place where thousands of people were buried and thousands of Christians. And, and uh, as I was walking through this place, it was, kind of, it was kind of eerie. It was kind of cold. It was kind of uh, claustrophobic and uncomfortable. How many of you get claustrophobic? Anybody like that? I don't even like being in the backseat of a car with three people. I'm like, get me out of here. And uh, so I was kind of walking through this, and I was kind of feeling uncomfortable. You know, the truth is, a dead person does not feel uncomfortable in their coffin because they are dead. But if that dead person were to become alive, all of a sudden, they would feel very uncomfortable. All of a sudden, they want to leave that coffin behind. They want to get out and go somewhere else. Can I tell you the same is true when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior? We want to leave that old life behind, and we want to walk in the newness of life. And so Paul says, in times past, yeah, but we don't have to be a servant to sin any longer. We don't have to keep clicking on that website. Uh, We don't have to keep on entertaining that relationship. We don't have to keep on giving in to those thoughts. We can now walk in the newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is describing our old condition, and he also talked about this when he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, that's not good news, because the Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not one. So we all sin. We all fall short. We all make stupid mistakes. We all trespass. And the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. How many of you would say that's not good news this morning, right? He says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Good news or bad news? Bad news. Here's the good news. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Listen, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And so Paul is describing, he says, hey, we need to remember our former condition. Remember where you came from. But remember what God saved you from. Remember that you were dead in your sins and you've been made alive by the power of the gospel. And so remember where you came from. Here's a second thought today. Number two is this. Rejoice in God's intervention. Now, if there's anyone on the planet that should be celebratory people, it's followers of Jesus. <laughs> That's why we come to church. And we don't want church to be a place where it's just kind of um, uh, not, not exciting and we kind of just want to fold our arms and, okay, let's see what, what this is all about today. Uh, we want church to be a place where we can celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what he's done in our lives. Uh, we can celebrate all kinds of things. Someone hits a home run in baseball. And all of a sudden, we'll get real excited, and we'll start to cheer, and whoo, got to hit a home run. And then we come to church, and we sing, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. If there's anyone that should be excited in life, it's followers of Jesus that we have been redeemed and saved, and Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again so that we can 
experience new life in Christ. We ought to be excited about the goodness of God and the grace of God that he has bestowed upon us. Now, what we're going to see in, the, in these verses is that God intervenes. And I'm thankful that we worship a God who intervenes. Sometimes uh, when I'm driving home and I'm driving with the kids, uh, we live on this little cul-de-sac. And, and uh, when we get to that cul-de-sac, I'll let uh, one of my kids sit on my lap and I'll let them steer for a minute uh, the rest of the way home. And uh, usually the same thing always happens. They start out doing pretty good, and then they start kind of drifting towards a car. And, and I don't tap on the brakes immediately. I kind of let them sweat it out for a minute. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. And uh, they get real nervous. Their eyes get real big. And then at some point, I intervene, and I grab that wheel. And what Paul is going to say is, yeah, we were dead in our sins, but God intervenes. And I want to read you two of the most encouraging verses, I believe, in all the Bible. Are you ready for them today? In verse number two, it's, in verse number four, it says this. But God We were dead in our sins, but God. We walked according to the prince and the power of the air, but God. We were subservient to our flesh, but God. Uh, We did what the course of this world was after, but God. Uh, God intervenes. I love what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 48, verse number 21. And Israel said unto Joseph, behold, I die, but God shall be with you. Uh, First Samuel 23, verse 14, and David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph and Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Psalm 73, verse number 26, my flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You might think my marriage is broken, my children are drifting, my thought life is deteriorating, my health is hurting, my heart is hurting. Can I tell you today? But God, there is nothing too hard for our God. He is exceedingly able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. I'm thankful today that we worship a God of intervention. Some of you today need to start believing that God can intervene in your situation. I'll never be able to have relational reconciliation with that person. But God. I'll never be able to get victory over this sin. But God. I'll never be able to find my strength again with my health as it is. But God. We worship a God who intervenes. And so he says, rejoice in God's intervention. Notice in verse 4. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now, I love how he talks about God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace. God's mercy is when we don't get the punishment that we deserve. Some of your parents know all about mercy, right? We don't get that punishment that we deserve. Take a second. God's mercy God's love, and then God's grace is when we receive undeserved favor. I like to think about it this way. A couple years ago, I was driving to Colorado, and and, uh, I was driving along, and all of a sudden, I saw some flashing lights behind me, and I thought, this is not good, and I was getting pulled over by a police officer, and I pulled over, and uh, the police officer came, gave me license and registration, then he came back, and he said, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to give you a ticket today. I'm just going to give you a warning today. Jehovah Jireh, that is the mercy of God, right? I didn't get a ticket, okay? How many of you are like, I could use a little bit of that mercy in my life, when, in my driving, right? And uh, so I got, I got mercy. I didn't get the punishment that I deserved. I deserved a ticket, but I didn't get it. But then about two hours later, true story, I was driving on the same road 
and another police officer came and pulled up behind me. And I didn't realize that we were on an Indian reservation and the speed limit dropped. And so he pulled me over. And this time, I'm sad to report that I did not receive mercy. Okay, I got the ticket. That's what we call justice. Okay, I got exactly what I deserved. But imagine with me for a moment that that second police officer did not give me a ticket. That would be mercy. But then imagine he went back to his car and he says, hey, I have something for you. And he goes to his car and he brings me back an envelope and he says, here's $1,000 for the rest of your trip, I want to provide some gas money and you can get some meals. And, and imagine if he gave me $1,000, uh, that would be, I don't even say that would be a blessing, first of all, um, but that would be a picture of grace. I didn't deserve that. Not only did I not get the punishment that I deserved, but now he's given me $1,000 extra above and beyond. This is a picture of grace, God's undeserved favor. And can I tell you today that salvation is not about what we bring to the table. Uh, salvation is not about works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us and that God's grace, his undeserved favor is available for us. And so uh, God intervenes and he provides his love, his mercy, and his grace. But then notice what it says in verse number six. And he has raised us up together. What does that mean, that God's raised us up together? Uh, what this means is that when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, that spiritually we arose with him. That's why Colossians 3 says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, uh, not on the things which are on the earth. And so uh, we were raised up together with Christ to walk in newness of life. But then it says this, and made us sit together. How many of you like it when you go somewhere and somebody saves you a seat, right? Maybe you're running late and you go to a sporting event or you go to a concert, or you go to church and somebody has a seat saved for you. I love this thought that God has a seat saved for you in heaven. That he says he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that, that this should spark some encouragement for us today, that we have a, a seat reserved for us in heaven, that when we die, we will rise and we will go to heaven. And when those that are in Christ, those that have received Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior, that have died before us, we will meet them again in heaven. See, I believe that every follower of Jesus, every Christian should contemplate the fact that we have a home in heaven. And there should be some eager anticipation for the fact that we will one day be united with Jesus in the presence of God in heaven. Uh, this is something that we should anticipate and look forward to. It's kind of like in The Wizard of Oz. I think The Wizard of Oz has been on my mind lately. And uh, let's circle back to it for a second. It's kind of like in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy, she's clicking her heels and she's saying, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And she was thinking about Kansas. Okay, so she was excited about Going back to Kansas, all right, so more power to you, Dorothy. But we as followers of Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20, our citizenship is in heaven. That means we have a dual citizenship. Yeah, we live here on earth, but our ultimate home is in heaven. And we ought to be excited about the fact that we have a home in heaven. And so often we are so earthly minded and so temporarily minded that we forget that God has an eternal purpose and eternal plan for our lives. We are made to sit together spiritually in heavenly places. And so God intervenes. Now, this is going to lead us to our third thought today, and it's this. Number one, you got to remember where you came from. Dead in our sins. Number two, rejoice that God intervened. And number three, embrace your God-given purpose. God has given us a purpose, and we're going to see it as we continue reading today. Notice verse number eight. It says this. For by grace, remember, that's undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When someone gives you a gift for Christmas, you don't say, all right, pull out the checkbook, how much do I owe you? You say, thank you, because it's a gift. A gift is not something that you achieve. A gift is something that you receive. And so he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so here he reminds us again of the beauty and the grace of God, and this is really the plan of salvation. We'll talk about this again in a moment, but notice verse number 10. For we are his workmanship. The word workmanship, again, it's, it's masterpiece that God has created us and designed us to be his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus unto, everybody say unto, unto, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so we are not saved by our good works. That's what religion tells you. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works, that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And and Paul wants us to understand that we are God's masterpiece. But you know, the problem is this. The problem is we often don't view ourselves as a masterpiece. You You might be thinking, I looked in the mirror this morning, I don't know if I qualify to be a masterpiece. And often we view ourselves in the wrong light. And a lot of times people are struggling today. We see it all the time in our culture today, in our society, where people are struggling with their identity. And they're struggling to view themselves in a way uh, that the Bible describes. We're struggling with our identity. It's kind of like in the Old Testament when those spies went to spy out the promised land. Remember they came back and uh, they reported to Moses, and it says this in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. And there we saw the giants the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And watch this little phrase. Are you ready for it? And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. They saw the giants. They saw the big problem. They saw the enemy. And they thought, man, we were in our own sight. We just feel like little grasshoppers. See, they had the wrong perspective. They had the wrong paradigm. Uh, the enemy didn't call them grasshoppers. They said we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so often we don't view ourselves as a masterpiece. Brian, you come up here and help me for a second. And as we close today, I want to give us a few reasons why we don't view ourselves as a masterpiece. Would that be okay this morning if we did that? Would it be okay with everybody else? All right. Three reasons today that you don't see yourself as a masterpiece. Number one is this. You think you're the artist. See, a lot of times, the reason why we struggle with our identity is because we want to call the shots. We want to define our own destiny. We want to declare who we are. Uh, We want to be the ones that make all the decisions and call all the shots. But we have to remember that verse number 10 says this specifically, we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. Can I tell you today that God is the ultimate artist, that he is the ultimate painter, that he is the ultimate designer, that he is the ultimate architect. And so only the designer gets to call the shots in our lives. See, the Bible puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 64, verse number eight. It says this, but now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou our potter and we are the work of thy hand. And so we have to recognize today that we are just in the hands of God and he is molding us and shaping us into what he wants us to be. And so uh, the first reason that we don't view ourselves as a masterpiece is we think that we are the artist. Here's the second reason that we don't view ourselves as a masterpiece. We let other people ride on us. And so what happens many times 
with our faith is that God has said, okay, I've created you, I've called you unto good works, and, and you are my masterpiece. But what we do is we listen to the labels from the world. And someone might say, you are a failure. And we let other people ride on us. You are weak. You are an addict. And what we do is we accept the labels from the world. And so we don't view ourselves as a masterpiece because we are listening to the labels that other people are placing on us. But the devil knows that if he can label you, he can limit you. And the only one that has the right to define you is the one that designed you. And so often we are listening to the labels from the world, and I'm an addict, and I'm a failure, and I'm not worthy, and I'm not good enough, and I'm weak. But listen to me today. The Bible says that you are a child of God, that we are sheep of his pasture, that we are citizens of his kingdom, that we are bricks in his house. And so we don't want to listen to the world and let the world define us and label us, but we listen to what God has to say about us. And by the way, Brian, I'm sorry, but you're not a failure weak and an addict this morning, but thank you for holding the sign. The third reason that we don't view ourselves as a masterpiece is because we don't understand our purpose. Many people are confused and they're struggling with their identity because they don't understand that God has called them and created them unto good works, that God has a good plan for your life. And so many people try to find their identity in a career or in a dollar amount or uh, so many different things, but uh, we were created in verse number 10 unto good works that God has uh, called us for a specific purpose. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Can I tell you the reason why we were created a masterpiece is not for our own glory? It's not for us just to look in the mirror and be like, Wow, I'm a masterpiece. Good job. You nailed it today. <laughs> the reason God created us is to give Him the glory that He deserves. We are simply to reflect that glory back to God. And so uh, this is the purpose of our lives, not to live for ourselves, but to live for the glory of the one that created us. I love what someone once asked Michelangelo as he was chipping away at this uh, rock. And they said, what are you doing? And I love his response. He has this famous response. He said, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. You might not be able to see it. You might not be able to understand, but I am creating something beautiful. Can I tell you today that you might not be able to see it in your life? You might not be able to understand it in your life, but according to the word of God, you are a masterpiece in the making. That God is shaping you and forming you and molding you and conforming you more and more into the image of his son. That until we get to heaven, we're going to continue on this journey called sanctification. And we're going to continue to uh, be more and more like Jesus. And God has called us and created us for a purpose. Now, today, if you're thinking, man, I don't know about, I don't know about eternity. We're talking about uh, home in heaven and, and, uh, and my ultimate identity and uh, having an identity in Christ, and I'm not sure. And I believe that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the verses that we just read, are the, are the perfect verses that we can truly understand our salvation. Because here it is. We were dead in our sins. There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we were separated from a holy God. Our iniquities, the prophet Isaiah said, have separated us from God. But God intervened. But God, God intervened. And what did he do? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And he rose again from the dead. And now, by his grace, through faith, we can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
together this morning.